Welcome to Mediation Today, a program brought to you by Vesnatsa Tichanin, a Canberra lawyer and mediator. Every episode introduces an experienced Australian mediator to talk about mediation training, development, ethics and practice. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the ACT land, the Ngunnawal people. Hello dear listeners. In today's program, I'm bringing you a very special guest, a dear colleague of mine, a friend of mine, Anna Quinn. Good morning, Anna. Thank you for accepting to be my guest in mediation today. Let me tell you a little about Anna. Anna has three decades of experience in conflict management and has in-depth knowledge of the range of processes, including restorative justice facilitation. She's got a special interest in coaching and supervision. Anna is a Resolution Institute Fellow, a leading trainer in the field in New Zealand, an experienced mediator, facilitator and supervisor in the areas of education, community, workplace, family disputes and commercial issues. Anna lives in Auckland with her family and is an avid cyclist, walker and ocean swimmer. I hope to touch on each of these towards the end of our interview. Let me start with asking Anna about her entry into the mediation field. Anna, you have been involved in it for over three decades. Back then, mediation was only making a shy entry as an ADR process in Australia. How did you discover mediation? Kia ora, Vesna. Let me just introduce myself in te reo in, in Māori, the Indigenous language of New Zealand. Tana kotu, ko tamata te munga, ko tukituki te awa, i tipi aki o iwe pukuro, he pakia aho, ko Tony Quinn rua, ko Nora Quinn okumatua, ko Anna Quinn tokuinua, Noria, tena kotu katoa. Uh, so that is me explaining a little bit about my whakapapa, where I come from. Uh, I grew up in a small town in New Zealand. Uh, Waipukuro, the mountain um, which is in that area which is very important to me is Tamata, the river uh, which we swam in as children is the Tuki Tuki and my mother and father were Tony and Nora Quinn. You've asked me to talk about my discovery of mediation so I'd like to start with looking at this from my formal discovery 36 years ago, in my final year of a law degree at the University of Canterbury in Christchurch in the South Island of New Zealand. Negotiation mediation was a year-long course um, with Jane Chart, who was an incredible lecturer. We were very fortunate to have her here in New Zealand. She was Canadian, had been living in New Zealand for some time. This was the only clinic type of paper available at law school at that time, and I simply fell in love with the concept. Jane videoed us doing exercises in negotiation and mediation, gave us feedback, and this was such an excellent teaching method. I was inspired. A fun fact is my husband uh, was in the class as well with two of my still best friends or best mates, as we say here. So that was my formal discovery, where it started. However, I think as the youngest of eight children, I feel like I'd been waiting for this opportunity 
all my life up until that point, to really start the process of understanding conflict and how it might be resolved constructively. So my experience as the youngest in this large clan with Irish and Scottish heritage was definitely a childhood filled with fun, laughter, love and connection. There were a lot of strong spirits, differing perspectives, and we were encouraged by our mum and dad to speak our minds. I guess I feel I muddled through that period often arguing with my brothers and sisters and often listening to their rowdy arguments. And from my perspective, I feel a lot of talking without too much quality listening, or whakarongo, the te reo word for listening, certainly not too much ata whakarongo, which means to listen carefully. Certainly not on my part. And I feel my experience and time and understanding, learning and now teaching conflict resolution has actually helped me become a better listener. I still think I've got so much work to do there. So atafakarongo, to listen carefully, is a real goal of mine and I feel a real gift we can give to others in our lives when we choose to use it. There's another te reo saying um, which translates to a choppy sea can be navigated. He mōna pukipuki e ekina e te waka. And, and that feels perfect here, um, both as a statement of fact that choppy seas can be navigated if one breathes deeply and, and, and thinks about the course rather than panicking in a choppy sea. And it also gives me potential to strive to do better, knowing that I can still use a different tool or technique, or really, coming back to fundamentals, use my ears more <laughs> uh, to, to listen. I feel that is, is the heart, comes to the heart of, of what, we, what we do as conflict resolvers. Carrying on with my discovery, uh, I it's useful, I think, for me to explain the next step after law school, where I spent around 10 years um, in, a, in a law firm um, in litigation to begin with. I was still very interested in this whole field of conflict resolution. At that stage, which is now called a dispute resolution department in, in, in most law firms in the world, it was definitely a litigation department. And I was writing pamphlets about the use of mediation and dispute resolution, using my negotiation skills a lot. Uh, I worked for three years and then travelled and returned to from London to Auckland, encouraged the firm I was working with to send me to Australia, where the Harvard mediation program uh, had come to Australasia for the first time. Um, that was in 1994, and I was very, very fortunate to be one of five people from New Zealand on that course. There were a lot of judges and QCs and very high-profile people in Australia starting to talk about mediation on that workshop. I met Joe Kalaski and Sue Duncombe, who were at that time 
the lead trainers for what was then called LEADER, which is now Resolution Institute, where I am a, who I am a trainer for by contract. Joe and Sue were incredible mentors to me and took me under their wing. I did that, the leader training with them and following a year in New York working in community mediation, I had the opportunity to start training with Joe and Sue and learning from them. And the rest is history in terms of my relationship with which is now Resolution Institute as a, as a trainer. Um, which has been a, a fantastic part of my life, just to come back on still on the discovery trail to that year in New York because it was incredibly formative in my discovery of mediation and what it could offer. I was remarkably fortunate to meet Laurie Goldstein and Janice Tudy Jackson at the victim um, services um, where the community mediation program in New York was centred and Laurie gave me a role as special project manager um, which allowed me to do all sorts of remarkable work and meet such remarkable people. The centre was operated with pro bono mediators so and remarkable people from all walks of life in Manhattan and um, Brooklyn and Harlem would come to um, serve the community in a co-mediation model. The mediation centre itself was was in the same building as criminal court and we would get quite a lot of referrals from criminal court. The mediation centre had security guards with guns and metal detectors at the entrance. So it was a remarkable eye-opener for a young New Zealander. Um, I was 29 at the time I was there. I w- had the opportunity to be to train New York City Court judges to create a recertification tool and recertify all their mediators and also to be exposed to some of the leading theorists in the field at the time, like Barak Bush, Sally Pope, Leela Love, Carol Liebman, restorative justice, um, which they call victim offender training. I had the opportunity to to participate in that as well. All of these remarkable trainers would offer their time um, and expertise to the Mediation Centre and its pro bono mediation cohort and its staff to give back and and those were amazing opportunities that that I had there and and gave me such insight and learning. Another very important part of my time in New York that still is so strongly better than my heart of this and in this work was the opportunity to take groups of students and their lecturers, so Leela Love and Carol Liebman, to night court and either Harlem or Brooklyn, where we would literally be mediating in the corridors before the equivalent of a Judge Judy would need to decide a case. And this was an incredible experience for me. I feel I am still reaping the benefit of that year and from 1995 to 1996. And I think very importantly for me, 
it gave me the opportunity and the confidence when we returned to New Zealand in 1996 to set up my business as Anna Quinn and Associates as a mediator, teacher in communication, negotiation and mediation and facilitation work. I was involved in restorative justice and one of the first community groups, Te Oratanga, here in Auckland for some time. And I really feel that's not a short answer, but an answer into the my discovery of mediation. Now I will introduce my music piece number one. The song I've chosen, The Things We've Handed Down, by Mark Cohn, speaks to me on more than one level. My brother, John, died four and a half years ago. A, an accomplished scientist with world recognition for his work in water ecology, an accomplished musician. He could sing, he could play the guitar, he's recorded his own album, um, an amazing husband, brother, father, grandfather. Um, his life was cut short by a nasty blood cancer. This playlist on which the things we've handed down as one piece was created by his family and and when John was very, very unwell and dying. And it was an immense comfort to me at the time and also ongoing, as I imagine it was for his family. It also speaks to me as a parent in terms of what I have got from my mother and father, Nora and Tony, and what I will pass on to my three sons. And it speaks to me as a peacemaker in terms of what I bring to any conflict situation, what I will leave behind, and who I'll walk with, beside, or perhaps hold up to some degree, to some appropriate degree, to help people move through the conflict, to help empower them to move through the conflict for themselves. Vesna, you have asked me to talk about the situation in New Zealand at that time of sort of back 36 years ago, back to 1987. And so I guess I need to start with from a Māori dispute resolution perspective, um, qualifying my comments by saying there are others much more qualified than me to speak on this important topic. However, if, like to name it, um, the Māori worldview is a very holistic one with the principle of balance being paramount. So there has always been conflict and conflict resolution strategies within the Māori community long before Pākehā arrived. In fact, the story of creation of the world from a Māori perspective uh, talks about the conflict that existed and, and how our world came into being through that conflict. Four key features of the Māori conflict resolution ethos, if you like, an emphasis on reaching consensus and involving the whole community with a desired outcome focused on reconciliation rather than isolation or punishment, with a reason focus underlying the issues rather than a blame focus and a focus on restoration, not infringement. Anna, could you please tell us about the most important principles of ADR 
in New Zealand as you see them. Tikanga or Māori principles are embedded into the New Zealand criminal justice system and there's plenty more work to be done. These principles have parallels to restorative practice, which is a very developing movement, particularly here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, which is coming much more into the mainstream, and I'll talk about that a little later on. Coming back to the rest of the New Zealand landscape in 1987, I'll start by acknowledging New Zealand's proud history and culture of mediation. It's a much more straightforward system to explain compared to Australia, Vesna, because we have a unitary system as compared to the federal system that you have in your country of residence. We have a small population and a history of openness to fresh ideas. The 80s and 90s were a time of significant increase in the interest of mediation in New Zealand, which was often touted as the way of the future by theorists and even into the mainstream. And it is important to recognise New Zealand's place at the forefront of the use of peacemaking in the youth justice area. An example of that being the family group conference model from the late 80s. In tenancy, so in um, conflicts between landlords and tenants, um, in the 80s, mediation was used a lot, and that was a strong breeding ground, if you like, for the training and development of mediation. In employment from the 70s, in family conflict, especially parenting from the 80s, and human rights from as early as the 70s in in leaky home issues uh, in the 80s and 90s and in environmental law. Those are all examples of the areas in which we saw mediation being used both formally and informally. It's worth noting that mediation is mentioned in more than 50 statutes (laughs) and would have been in in the 80s and 90s at that time. Most mediators then would have been government employees. At a grassroots level, we have the Cool Schools program, which I'll return to later. It's fair to say in the 80s, mediation was still largely ignored um, by universities and not particularly well understood by the public. From my perspective, since the 90s, the most obvious developments have been conciliation processes used in consumer complaints regimes throughout New Zealand. In terms of the development of ADR here in New Zealand over the last few decades, I would like to refer listeners to the text by Grant Morris and Annabelle Shaw titled Mediation in New Zealand. It is an excellent summary of the landscape here. I guess I'd point to a number of factors myself when I'm looking at that development. I see the principles of peacemaking being used throughout Aotearoa, New Zealand, and kindergartens and schools and universities, starting with those fundamental principles of listening and understanding each other and different perspectives and a tolerance of difference, which I feel has increased. Formally, I feel mediation is much more widely used and understood. People do not look at me as blankly when I say I'm a mediator or a mediation 
trainer and supervisor, as a group, Kiwis or New Zealanders uh, uh, tend to be rather conflict avoidant. We have a, a small population compared to globally and a large land mass, and we can walk away if we have an argument from people rather than necessarily being very keen to resolve it immediately. Although we also have a, a, a village type situation here where you are likely to see the person again at some stage over your life. I think with the exception of the increase in the use of restorative practice, New Zealand has largely followed trends in particularly Australia and has taken some models early on from America, noting that mediation here is still unregulated and there is no statute, which is one of the reasons why Resolution Institute, an organisation which I have been involved with since its formation as leader, just shortly following its formation in the early 90s, Resolution Institute is very strongly wedded to promoting standards and um, practice standards and accreditation to protect the authenticity of the process and vulnerable people who may be users. And I think another area where it's largely growing is supervision as a concept, and that has increased in its interest and application, um, which many other disciplines obviously used and have used using counselling as an example there, where supervision has been a, a you know a part of your your practice that's that's available to mediators and is obviously incredibly worthwhile. Mediation here, as Grant Morris and Annabel actually note, um, is is not going to overtake litigation. However, it is widely understood, as I said now by the public, I believe, more much more so, and more likely to be used than it was three decades ago for all similar reasons to the situation in Australia that the parties can get a tailor-made bespoke resolution for themselves, restoration potentially of relationships without the cost and time and stress and impact that litigation can have not only on people but on the relationships. My guest in mediation today is Anna Quinn, a mediator, trainer and coach from New Zealand. Anna, so far we have been talking about the past. I'm sure our listeners worldwide would be interested to hear about non-litigative methods of dispute resolution in New Zealand these days. Vesna, I'd like to talk about three approaches here. Restorative practice, conflict coaching and tikanga-based training offerings. Starting with restorative practice, I've had the opportunity to, to use this in facilitation work. An example would be in a university setting for a team who was struggling with conflict between them. So the circle process, to give a simple explanation, is a process of understanding, not as its fundamental goal, decision-making or problem-solving. These matters can flow out of the session, but it's not the key focus. The key focus is we assume there is a universal human wish to be connected and that understanding is a fundamental part of that connection, providing an opportunity to really listen, ata to each other. 
and a focus of recognizing the impact of our behavior on others. This is a facet of conflict restoration that has huge potential in workplaces, in schools, in cities, in in the world. Uh, And it is definitely a growing area here in New Zealand. Tying in with that is the collaborative practice, which I know is is growing in interest in Australia also. Moving on to conflict coaching, one-on-one coaching with a party or a person in conflict, the conflict coach helps a person consider what is happening, what choices they have, what the impact of their own behavior may be on the conflict, and it provides very important work for the current conflict and beyond. Moving to tikanga-based training offerings, tikanga being the customary practice, the right way to do things. First, understanding one's own view of the world or one's own lens. An example of a training in this area is Tohono, who offer a credible starting platform and accreditation and a way of looking at conflict resolution through a Māori tikanga lens. This is a very exciting development. Vesna, you've asked me to speak about my time with the ICC mediation competition in Paris. I would love to tell you about that. So I lectured at Auckland Law School here in Auckland in 2001 and then from 2004 to 2007. Nina Kori took over from me and in 2014, following Nina's instigation of a team to travel to that competition, Nina and I co-coached a team and I travelled with them. Four young females made up the team that year to Paris. This is one of the world's largest education competitions. Conflict resolution scenarios um, are created by mediators throughout the world who are part of the organising committee and law students work to mediate those conflicts. The law students work in a team of two, one taking the role of the client, one taking the role of the lawyer, and they're helped by a professional mediator. Travelling to the competition was a very, very special time for me and for the team. The top mediators of the globe, including some of my former mentors from my time in New York, travel there with students from all corners of the globe. And this competition literally changed the lives of some of our students and influenced them all. The University of Auckland team here from New Zealand has had outstanding success in this competition, taking out top honours on a number of occasions, this year placing third. And the model that is used to prepare the students, I think, is, is remarkable. This model has been was created by Nina Kohi, where the students of the past then become the coaches for the following years, and they pass their knowledge down. That model is quite unique to New Zealand, and I think a fundamental part of of the success of the team. And then people such as myself play a role as guest mediators and mentors to the team when needed. Thank you for that, Anna. You told me that you have a special interest in the Peace Foundation's work in schools and also in the management of conflict involving the elderly. You are a member of the Elder Mediation Australasian Network EMAN board. 
these are massive areas of activity. Please tell us what attracts you to these areas of mediation practice and your involvement. In terms of what sparked my interest in mediation with the elderly, I guess it comes from having elderly parents myself. Over the last decade, my husband Bryn and I have lost both sets of parents. And as a teacher and lecturer in peacemaking, I have a real interest in a quality process to be used in this context. My driving reason isn't necessarily to do the work myself in this area, but to promote the use of safeguards and quality work and authentic practice, particularly to safeguard the users, especially the vulnerable. I had met Dale Bagshaw, our Australasian guru in this area, at a Resolution Institute conference in around 2011 or 12, I think. And I was fortunate enough to attend one of his early workshops on elder mediation in Adelaide in 2015 and was very grateful to the opportunity to be a support trainer with Dale when we brought that workshop to New Zealand and the following year after that. For the end, I'd like you to tell us about your favourite pastimes. My husband is a keen cyclist too and we walk a lot together. What tracks would you recommend to those interested in cycling and walking around New Zealand? So there are so many wonderful places to cycle here in New Zealand. I would recommend the Tour Aotearoa, which my husband and I have done twice, which is the length of New Zealand from Cape Reinga in the far north through to Bluff in the far south. It's 3,000 kilometres and takes somewhere between, well, for, for us, around about three weeks, just under 21 days. However, if one isn't interested in, in that challenge, 90 Mile Beach, which starts at, at, at the top at Cape Reina, is a, a stunning bike ride. The timber trail in the middle of the North Island is, is beautiful. The Whanganui River is a remarkable place to ride, and the ride finishes and you catch a jet boat, and that's also very thrilling. The West Coast Wilderness Trail is remarkable. Uh, the Lewis Pass, the Haas Pass, Danzy's Pass. <laughs> in Wanaka, there are remarkable cycle paths. Uh, the Kopiko, Kopiko means to wander to and from. Uh, that is a mountain bike ride which takes around a week from the east coast of the North Island from Gisborne through to New Plymouth on the west coast. The Alps to Ocean, which is in the South Island, remarkable, stunning, beautiful. The Lake Dunstan Trail in the South Island around Clyde to Bannockburn, stunning. There's, there's a few of my favourite cycling trails in New Zealand. Now, on terms of trekking, we are full of fabulous walks. I have trekked Nepal on two occasions, the Long Langtang Trek and two base camps, and I have walked the Inca Trail in Peru. Many of New Zealand great walks still await my feet. 
but there is time. Dear listeners, this was Anna Quinn for you, a mediator and a lot of other things from New Zealand, a dear friend and dear colleague. Anna, thank you again for being my guest. Thank you, Vesna, for this opportunity.